the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll explore spirit marriage, evolution of the divine within. Most cultures have myths, legends, and practices involving spirit marriage. It is, in fact, so universal that it warrants a closer look. Is there really such a thing as a marriage between a spirit entity and a human? Is it even possible? What would be the purpose? But most importantly, can it serve us as a means of personal evolution today? With us this hour to consider this unusual topic is Megan Rose, the author of Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Otherworldly Beings. Megan has a doctorate in East-West Psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies and a master's degree in Religion and Society from the Graduate Theological Union. She serves as an ordained interfaith minister, psycho-spiritual counselor, and is the executive director of the Enthesis Institute. Her website, drmeganrose.com. Megan, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here today with you, Gwilda. So uh, your bio says that you have a degree in East-West Psychology and in Religion and Society. What led you from there to considering and studying spirit marriages? It's a great question. Um, I was raised in the Pentecostal Christian tradition. And in that tradition, um, my upbringing from early childhood through my young adulthood was really the emphasis of the gifts of the spirit, right? Laying on of hands, speaking in tongues, um, and various faith healing and sort of um, ecstatic spirituality kinds of practices. And so those were just kind of the waters that I swam in as a child growing up. And as I um, grew up and, and went to um, college, I became really sort of curious about that, curious about this embodied um, spirituality, this spiritual energy that seemed to move through and in me and that manifested for me at the time as the Holy Spirit. And so um, I went to seminary to try and kind of unpack it and understand it. And by then I'd kind of become a little um, <clears throat> disenchanted with the more fundamentalist aspects of, of Christianity and was sort of veering into more of earth-based spiritual um, practices and traditions. And in seminary, I remember <clears throat> hearing this um, line in the Genesis account around how the sons of God, the angels, came and saw the daughters of men, the women, um, and took unto them wives. And I thought that was really interesting. And so that was sort of cooking on the back burner of my um, my consciousness, really, as I went through seminary and, and continued to really try to study um, embodied spirituality. What is this... Um, this strange flow, this, this numinous force that moves through our bodies when we're having these, these powerful, numinous spiritual experiences. 
And so I went on to study a variety of different healing modalities from Chinitsang to Shiatsu to um, craniosacral therapy, all and yoga. I mean, all of these different um, various forms that were not tied to any particular religious dogma, but that gave me an, um, an insight into what having extraordinary spiritual contact with and with and through the human body, um, that's the sort of intimacy part, um, was like. And when I was, um, I had finished seminary, I'd done probably about 10 years of study in holistic healing arts, I began to have my own contact of this um, supernuminous, this extraordinary being that wanted to marry me and being well, Yes. Uh, let's let's get on the same page as far as, would you mind telling us what a spirit marriage is? Sure, absolutely, yeah. So a spirit marriage is when a human and an extraordinary being, um, or what I call a spirit, because that's sort of the most general term that um, you can use uh, for these types of beings, these otherworldly beings, but they really could be angels or deities or um, earth spirits, devas. Um, there's a whole host uh, or classification of, of different types of beings that, that one could step into this kind of relationship with. Um, so it's when a human and one of these beings step into a committed relationship, um, much like a human marriage. It is um, a, a human person and an extraordinary intelligence that, that agree to have this bond and this lifelong commitment to do usually some sort of co-creative project together. And so yeah. um, how, do, how does that differ from helping spirits, um, um, visiting spirits, uh, spirit uh, friends? How, how's, how's that differ? Well, I think of it as kind of a spectrum. I think that the helping spirits and the visiting spirits um, are sort of like friendships that we that we gather with the other world or that we create with the other world. And the spirit marriage is just that. It is a deeper commitment um, and usually at the behest of the spirit. So usually the spirit comes to the individual and says, I want to marry you. And if you're lucky enough to be within a tradition, and there are many on the planet that practice spirit marriage, then there are protocols and practices that <clears throat> you can undertake to, to step into that marriage. Um, okay, so how, oh, sorry, backing up again. Um, how does this um, want to be mate <laughs> approach you? How do you, how do you, how do you hear them, know them, know something's going on, hear that message? Yeah. So um, if you are already working in um, and in and with guiding spirits, um, spirit uh, guides, tutelary spirits, com spirit companions, um, then it would be the spirit that that says to you, either in a dream or a, a trance journey or some other kind of um, non-ordinary state, usually, that, that they want to marry you. However, so it's, it's helpful to have a tradition or a practice where you can enter the trance state, or is that necessary? You can just hope that the dream comes. 
Well, I think that it, it isn't necessary uh, that you have a tradition. Um, in fact, my research shows that there are plenty of folks that um, that are being contacted by spirits and, and asked to marry them that don't have a tradition, and like myself. And I had to sort of figure it out and find my way into a tradition that would help support me um, and make sense of all of this. But um, the, so the tradition helps, but you absolutely don't have to be within a tradition for a spirit to step forward and say, I want to um, step into a deeper committed relationship with you. So how do you know that that's what's going on, um, that you're not just making it up or imagining it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I call it the checks and balances process. You, um, for myself, I... Um, had a psychotherapist that I was working with, but a shamanic psychotherapist, someone who was well-versed in this type of um, extraordinary work and contact. Um, and that was important to me so that it wasn't immediately dismissed or in invalidated as some sort of, you know, um, fantasy. Um, and then I found mentors, folks who had spirit marriages themselves or within or were within a tradition that upheld that to really help guide me. Um, and and that's really what I recommend if folks are having um, what they think might be this type of a contact, um, that they find a mentor, that they find a guide, someone, and, and they're out there. You know, um, my research shows uh, tremendous amounts of um, sort of hidden in plain sight instances of these kinds of relationships. Uh, well, we're going to have to go into these hidden in sight kinds of relationships on the other side of a short pause. Megan and I will return shortly, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution, www.missionevolution.org. You are watching the Exxon TV channel on the First Choice Broadcast Network, fcbn.ca. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing spirit marriages is Megan Rose. Her website, drmeganrose.com. Megan, we were, we were discussing how you find help <laughs> once you feel like you've been contacted uh, for a spirit marriage. And how is a spirit marriage different from a possession, for say, for instance, or from channeling? I think that um, possession and channeling are um, sort of steps on the road to the spirit marriage. Um, some folks in the um, esoteric and occult communities call spirit marriages unions or indwellings um, or merges. And so if you think of possession or channeling as sort of the spirit comes in, the spirit goes out, they may leave some of their grace and their their energy, but um, you're still separate and distinct entities. And the spirit marriage or the indwelling is just that. It's a co-walking where the spirit walks sort of within and alongside of you um, and that is uh, kind of a constant presence, may not be like, you know, 
talking, 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 talking at you, um, but you in your head, but you have this um, deeper union that uh, aligns the two of you um, in some traditions inextricably, like you're changed um, from that moment on. So when you are um, considering a spirit marriage, how do you know that you're not dealing with um, a less than friendly spirit, one with an agenda like a possessing spirit? Well, I think that, I mean, first of all, possessory techniques and um, traditions are not necessarily with, uh, we think of possession as something that is like jumping in and laying claim to you. And um, we would need to unpack the term possession a little bit more because there is this idea that um, that the spirits can come out of you, that they're already sort of an innate part of your um, inner constellation of um of of being and so the you know in the in the voodoo tradition they there is this idea that they can come out of you um but to address the question of you know how do we deal with um with spirits that are maybe we don't want in there or are not necessarily beneficial to us um it's the same tools and techniques that one would use in gritting and protecting and discerning um, any kind of spirit contact. Um, the spirit marriage is sort of a later step after you've kind of dated around a little bit. You know, you've gotten to know your spirit, you've spent some time with them, um, maybe they've proposed marriage to you. The other option or the other um, instance that happens is um, sometimes the spirits will appear to um, your teacher or mentor or a spiritual advisor in your tradition or your community and tell that person that they want to marry you. And that's a very common practice in some of the um, African diaspora traditions. Um, so it's not necessarily you that gets the message all the time. Sometimes somebody in your community will get that message, usually somebody that you know, love and trust, and um, they will propose through through that that means. And so it's definitely a spirit that you've vetted and spent some time getting to know or that someone um, has has requested requested the marriage. So is is there such a thing as a divorce? Um, I know of one instance where there um, was a spirit uh, marriage practitioner who divorced her spirit spouse. And um, that was an interesting instance in that um, she didn't feel like she had much agency in the uh, marriage originally. The spirit kind of came to her and said, I want to marry you. And she was like, okay, we'll try this out. Um, and it really wasn't working out. And so in that instance, she uh, went to the uh, spirit sort of, sort of that was um, in in jurisdiction over that um, that particular spirit she was married to. So he sort of was like um, above or had the, or had the had higher rank than um, the spirit that that she was married to, and said, you know, this isn't really working out, and I would like to divorce. And so that spirit presided over the divorce. So it can happen, although. Um, it really depends on the the cosmological location of the spirit. Um, there are some spirits that when you go through the sometimes arduous process of the marriage, um, divorce isn't really an option after that because you are intermingled and intertwined. And like I said, you've been changed in certain ways to accommodate the spirit's presence that um, 
it doesn't really allow for disentangling. Um, but that's not true for every what, spirit. What about people that are already married or hope to have a human relationship? Um, are they diametrically opposed? No, not at all. In fact, most of my co-researchers, the folks that I um, interviewed about spirit marriage, um, had human relationships partners um, or, or were married. And um, it really helps if you're both um, in or um, at least understanding of the tradition and the practices. But um, they, the spirit marriage, depending on the tradition that you're working in, um, you set aside anywhere from a night to a few nights a month to be with your spirit partner. Um, and so it helps if your other partner, um, your human partner can understand and, and share in, in that way. But it's much easier than if you were saying like a polyamorous relationship where you're physically separate from your spouse and with someone else. It doesn't seem to lead to the same kind of jealousy. Um, however, I will say that there are some instances in some of the folks that I interviewed where the spirit that they were married to was um, for all intents and purposes monogamous with them, meaning that they didn't really have much time, space, or really interest in being with a, a human person. Um, so it's uh, there's a wide variety of ways that it can look up look, look like. So what all traditions is this found in? Um, as you're speaking, you know, some things come to my mind, like um, um, the virgin birth, Mary, um, having Jesus as the son of God and then ending up married to Joseph. Um, and nuns call themselves the brides of Christ. And some witches have been referred to as the brides of Satan. Is all that part of it? Um, yes. So the usually here in the West, that's the first thing we think of is the uh, examples of in the Catholic Church, right, where the nuns take vows of fidelity and wear a ring and, and for all intents and purposes are married to Jesus. Um, and that certainly falls within this purview. Um, and there are um, a variety of traditions that are actively practicing. And then there are historical traditions. Um, instances of this um, anthropologically and, and in and history. Um, but, you know, when I did my my survey, it is transcultural. It shows up in the West African Dagara tradition from Burkina Faso. Uh, it shows up in, as I said, the African diaspora traditions of Lodou. Uh, it shows up, um, as you mentioned, in the witchcraft traditions where the witches would marry um, the horned god, not um, not the Christian Satan, not, not what we would understand or what is commonly understood as Satan. This is much more of a... <clears throat> an earth-based fecund nature spirit. Um, it shows up in the Indic traditions uh, of uh, Shakta Tantra um, and marriage to the, the gods or the goddess in, um, in various tantric traditions um, and on and on and on and on. I mean, in China, in um, Siberia, in the United States, it's, it's all around the world. And, and it's been all around the world for quite some time from what you're saying. Yes. Uh, the first textual evidence of it we find in ancient Mesopotamia. So, wow. um, yeah. So the priests and the priestesses of um, Ishtar were married to the goddess Ishtar. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the first textual record. But I, you know, I think that well, there's pretty we're strong evidence. We're going to have to 
We're going to have to pick up on the history of it on the other side of yet another break. Megan and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution, www.missionevolution.org. You are watching the Exxon TV channel on the First Choice Broadcast Network, fcbn.ca. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Megan Rose. We're speaking about otherworldly beings. Her website, drmeganrose.com. Megan, we were talking about uh, different traditions that this has shown up in, um, and apparently there's a plethora of them and some that are active today. Um, but I want to move on to, uh, you also refer, you refer to otherworldly beings. Um, what all in, is included in that? Like how about um, ETs, um, extraterrestrials? I think that um, although I didn't gather any um, research or data, around folks who are married to ETs, um, that that, fall, that absolutely falls within this purview. Um, we're talking about essentially beings that don't have a corporeal form um, or had, uh, because folks uh, have uh, reported married being married to beloved dead or ancestors. They once had a form, but they're no longer in a physical body um, or it's a human physical body. I was going to say, um, is is it possible or believed that they could have a body elsewhere? Yes. So um, anecdotally, in um, in my clients and folks that have come to work with me, I have uh, met folks who are um, married to otherworldly consciousnesses, consciousnesses that are on other planets and may have a different sort of physical form. And there's more of a, a kind of psychic or telepathic connection, um, that, uh, that forms between the two of them. And, and in some cases, uh, ends up in a more bonded relationship, what we would classify as a marriage. So, in those cases, um, how about the time frames, that sort of thing? Um, is there a distortion in how their time passes versus ours? I'm historically and and certainly in the folklore, there is time distortion between our world and these other worlds um, that shows up sort of transculturally across folkloric evidence, the the idea of getting lost in the land of fairy, right? Where uh, a, a day to us is like uh, 300 years to them or something like that. Um, and so there can be time distortions. Um, if we're uh, working in a sort of altered or trance state, but you know, remember we're doing things in their world but they're also doing things in our world. So there's, uh, there is a, a kind of continuum between our dimension and whatever extraordinary or otherworldly dimensions that they're working in. So at this point, I have to ask, are we speaking metaphorically here, like we're actually marrying our masculine and feminine internally, or are you speaking literally? No, no, these are literal traditions where um, humans marry uh, a deity, a god, a goddess, um, a extraordinary being like a, a fairy or a um, earth spirit. Um, this is an animist practice, meaning that we look at the world around us not through this anthropocentric lens where humans are the center of everything, but we are a, a part, right? We're a part of Gaia, we're a part of the planet that is alive 
and conscious at very, very different layers, at, at many, many different layers of, of being from like the tiniest, tiniest atoms that we can't see with the naked eye to the largest oceanic forces um, that are all live and have um, their own intelligence. It might not be the same as human intelligence, but it is um, an intelligence, an aliveness. So what is the purpose of spirit marriage? Um, you know, what, what purpose does it serve ultimately? It can serve a lot of different purposes. In, um, in some communities that, that practice spirit marriage, you might step into a marriage to bring something to that community that nobody else can. Um, for example, the African Dagara tradition, um, Madrone, who I interviewed for my, um, my research, um, was asked to marry Tingan, who's a tree spirit, a ma the masculine spirit of earth, because the community needed to establish that shrine and that, um, and that relationship so that other things could be done within that cosmology, within that, um, within that tradition. Um, but all, but for folks who aren't in a in a you know uh, spirit marriage tradition or sort of trying to figure this out on their own, what I found is that often these um, marriages come forth because there are things that we can do with those spirit beloveds um, that we're not able to necessarily do on our own, just like a tutelary spirit and give us guidance. Uh, the marriage sort of brings forth this co-creative union where. Um, amazing things like extraordinary works of art um, and co-creative projects, environmental projects, all sorts of things come through these deeply committed bonded relationships with the spirit beloved. How do they find us? That's a great question. Um, I think that in some ways these relationships are predestined, meaning um, we may have been married to them in previous lifetimes, if you want to take a, a reincarnational approach to it. Um, oftentimes, the spirits have been attached to our ancestors and our family lineage. And so we're simply picking up practices that our, um, our animist ancestors uh, practiced for generations. Um, and then other times a spirit finds us because that we have a certain je ne sais quoi, we have a certain something that, um, that they know will uh, bring some this this co-creative project forward in a unique way. Uh, one spirit marriage teacher that I've um, worked with uh, and studied with, R.J. Stewart, says they do things that we can't, and we do things that they can't, and so we really need each other to um, to be this bridging consciousness. Sounds very much sounds very much like a human marriage, doesn't it? When they work well. We each have a piece of the, the, the equation. Um, when you're entering into a spirit marriage, and do you think, um, or have you found, that it has to do with intention that you may have set at some point? That's a great question. I hadn't thought about that before. Not in that frame. So let me think about that for a second. I think that for folks that are invited into spirit marriage, there's an openness, right? There's an openness to being loved at that deeply bonded way. Um, and, and if you want to frame that as an intention, 
Um, certainly, I think that now that spirit marriage is becoming more uh, of a of a subject that is known and discussed publicly, um, because as I said earlier, it's been kind of hidden in plain sight for a lot of uh, different reasons. But now that it's being discussed more openly, I think that folks can absolutely seek to enter into a deeply bonded relationship, if not with a um, what we would consider sort of an external spirit being, certainly with one's divine self, right? This idea that we all have this divine rarefied aspect of ourself that we can step into deep bonded uh, union with. How much does our deep bonded union with ourself at, uh, your help serve as an asset or limit our ability to enter into a spirit marriage? I think it uh, absolutely is an asset um, in that when we um, when we step into deep devotional relationship with with deity, um, whether we consider ourselves to be sort of a fractal or a, a a piece of the deity, or whether it's sort of this externalized deity, kind of lights us up, right? There's all these things that happen to our consciousness and to our um, psycho-spiritual processes that um, that in 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 many traditions sort of make us more like, right? There's, there's this idea that when you're in devotion to a, a deity, when you have a devotional deity, you you begin to take on the qualities. And in some traditions, you even start sort of shifting and looking a little bit more like that deity. Um, we're going so, to have to pick up on, on how we bond and what the effects are on the other side of yet another quick break. Megan and I will be back shortly to continue this discussion. So don't go away. This is Mission Evolution missionevolution.org. You're watching the Exxon TV channel on the First Choice Broadcast Network, fcbn.ca. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Megan Rose. Her website, drmeganrose.com. Megan, um, when is it appropriate you know, how do we know it's it's the appropriate thing to do to enter into a spirit marriage? Well, I think when you have been, first of all, contacted by a spirit asking to marry you um, and vetted that spirit and spent some time getting to know them and maybe found some folks uh, like a, a counselor or a spiritual mentor, to help you really navigate it. Um, the other would be that you have a deep love, um, thinking of the, the Shaivites that have deep love for Shiva and um, long to be his beloved and step into and, and woo him. Um, so there's this idea that particularly with the divine beings and even with our own divine self, um, that we might woo and um, and invite a deeply bonded um, indwelling of that that spirit, that being, um, to co-walk with us, right? To be um, a part of our lives in a in a deeply indwelled kind of way. So that would indicate that um, more than one of us can be married to one of them at one time. Yes, absolutely. And we can be married to more than one being as well. So this is a very 
polyamorous tradition in, in many ways, because that, um, at least from my research, we can have more than one divine being that we are devoted to. Or sometimes we have um, a divine being that we're in a devotional relationship with for a while, and then that's, that switches and that shifts, and we, um, we grow and evolve, and um, our relationships grow and evolve. Uh, just like our human ones do. Um, sometimes we grow out of relationships or, um, you know, to your question about um, uh, fixed, you know, um, our divine self focus. So are there any precautions or protocols that we need to be aware of if someone's interested in pursuing a spirit marriage? I think that just like if you're stepping into um, divination or channeling work, that having some really good practices for discerning, um, discernment of the spirit, uh, discernment of like what's my own projection that I'm bringing to this, which we talked a little bit about earlier. Um, so um, what is me? What is my culture? What is the media? What is my ancestors? And what is the voice of spirit? Having really good structures and support for um, being able to discern all of those different things um, is, is really paramount. Um, and so it then, sounds like what you need to do is really educate yourself once you recognize um, that you are interested in or it's a possibility to have a spirit marriage. I think education is is really important um, because we we want to be grounded, right? We want to feel safe and sane in these relationships and not like we're untethered and um, like uh, the lights are on and and every you know we're open for business and all the spirits are showing up and talking to us. We want to be able to filter down so that we have a manageable um, working space uh, within which we can cultivate contact. Do you think that there is um, an increase in spirit marriages and people being approached right now because of the, the trauma that we're in on the planet, this huge transition we seem to be in? I think we've always had spirit marriages on the planet, but I do think that there, I think it's coming to light now um, more so than in times past, because yes, we really um, we need to evolve as a species beyond this um this consumption, consumptive, destructive pattern that we're in with the planet. And um, all of these otherworldly beings are com coming forward, I think, to, to really help and support that. How can we use a spirit marriage to um, um, evolve personally? I, I think it goes back to the idea of the divine self, right? We, whether or not uh, a spirit is ringing our doorbell to marry us, um, we all have a divine self that's actionable. And we can all step into that question of, you know, who and what is my divine self? What are they like? What's their flavor? Um, maybe we'll find a, a patron deity or a um, a cosmological pantheon that we want to practice within. Um, and then it's this deep devotional work um, combined with discipline, right? The disciplined practices of, of getting to know that, that aspect of the divine self, getting to know that, that spirit beloved, um, just like you would a human, you have to spend time um, daily getting to know them and, um, and getting familiar with their voice, their touch, their presence in your life. And in the process of that, you get to know yourself better? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, because all of a sudden when you're looking at um, those questions of what's me, what's not me, you start realizing, oh, I've got a lot of stories running that are not even my own stories. They're like, you know, something I inherited from my my mom or some story that I picked up from the collective, you know, via media. Um, and they're not even my true self. They're not true to who I am and what I'm here to do on the planet at this time. So a spirit marriage can help you gain perspective. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, yeah. It, it um, because that we, at least the way that I, um, I think that it happens in a in a in a healthy unfolding um, psychologically. It um, it helps us really clarify who we are and what we're about. Megan, what is your mission? Mm, my mission is is this co-creative project of getting the news out about spirit marriage. As I started to say at the beginning, um, I was contacted, um, and that set me on the path of doing a PhD dissertation and really researching this and really understanding the psycho-spiritual mechanics of it so that I can share this message with other people and help. I, I get contacted by people all over the world trying to figure out, you know, what's going on? I have this spirit and it says it wants to marry me and I've never heard of this before. And so my mission has really been about um, stepping into that co-creative relationship with my contact to help others who are being contacted do this in a way that they feel safe and sane and grounded and validated. Safe and sane and grounded should be a challenge when you're dealing with something that's so far out of our conscious awareness as far as our, our uh, culture goes. We're just about out of time. Uh, Megan, what would you suggest a person do should they find themselves being approached? I think that the first thing is to um, really discern um, and and ask good questions of the spirit. And if you you know don't have a framework for that, to to find the the divinatory and the discernment system and tools to to help you communicate in a way that you can get information just like you would get to know another human person. If you were dating someone, um, you need the, the tools and the skills to, uh, to really refine, um, the relationship and, and become very clear about, you know, who and what you're, um, being contacted by and why, what's the, what's their agenda? What's the well, Megan, Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, this has been an unusual topic and you've made it nice and clear. Thank you so much. Our guest this hour has been Megan Rose, the author of Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Otherworldly Beings, ordained interfaith minister and psycho-spiritual counselor. Her website, drmeganrose.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to enjoy past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. You are watching the Exxon TV channel on the First Choice Broadcast Network, fcbn.ca. Please be sure to join us right here next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world. Thank you.